I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning. Welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 1039 WYAB, broadcasting from the Mac Hike of Flowwood Studios. Uh, today's Friday. Next hour, we will get into False Flag Friday. Lots of things heating up. And I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on with Russia uh, in this first hour. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the fourth turning. This was a, a term. I don't know if it existed before, but uh, Neil, Neil Howe and uh, I can't remember the Strauss guys. Uh, Strauss, and, uh, Neil, uh, Strauss and Howe put out this book called The Fourth Turning that was pretty widely acclaimed, but it looked at kind of generational patterns in the United States. And I saw an interview with, uh, I believe it was Howe, Neil Howe, uh, just a couple of days ago. And I got to tell you, it's a little scary when you look at the trends of history of the United States since our founding, uh, we are due uh, an, uh, some problems. I'll put it that way. I don't want to get into it. I'm teasing it a little bit. Uh, but are we on the cusp of a fourth turning? We'll take a look at that uh, in just a little bit. And then we'll finish up the show as we always do. i got a, a hodgepodge of clips, but I'm really going to focus in on a CBS report. <laughs> the CBS. Holy cow. Uh, but we'll do this week on the crazy trains. We look back. If I'd had the energy and had, thought the, had the creativity, this hit me about 10 minutes ago. I should have done it this year on the crazy train and just taken all the greatest hits from the last 52 weeks of insane clips that I've brought, everything from the social justice warriors to the mental patient we have in the White House. There's there's been some real chucklers there. I guess I could call an audible and do it next next Friday. But anyway, we'll do this week uh, on the crazy train, focusing in on a really horrific CBS report. I barely had a show for today. I have been without Internet at my house now for nine days, I believe. Nine days. Now, I've told you, I live in Jackson. For the first time in 20 years, 25 years, something like that, I live in Jackson. I grew up in Jackson. Being in Jackson now is not the same Jackson as it was uh, growing up. It was a wonderful place to grow up, graduate of Murrah High School. But I'm back in Jackson. Uh, I'm also under a boil water alert. I do have water pressure. The water does not bother me near as much as the Internet outage from AT&T. And I'm going to call out AT&T because I'm fine with outages. These things happen. I understand that I am never guaranteed a flawless experience with every service I ever encounter, and I demand to be treated like a king. That's not me at all. But AT&T started with, uh, yep, your Internet's out, and they said it should be back on in 24 to 25 hours. And at first when I saw that, I thought, holy cow, that's a long time. Well, that was eight days ago. And they have stopped even taking calls for people to ask. Every time you call, they say, yeah, it should be on in about 24 hours. 
And after about four or five days of this, they just stopped taking the calls. They've got some pre-recorded message. Uh, you can't even get through to them to find out what's going on. So they are ignoring people who even call for a status update. That's AT&T Internet Service. Nine days, no Internet. And no, uh, no news. We don't know what's wrong. And i got to tell you, to me, it's almost like the pilot of a plane. You, you kind of want to know what's going on. When things aren't going well, I kind of like to know. Look, if somebody stole the copper out of the AT&T uh, box, I, I can understand that. I'd, I'd like to know that. But just this uh, 24, 25 hours. Uh, they just say this over and over again and never restoring. See, anyway, I soldiers in. I woke up early, braved the weather, come into the studio to make sure that I've got enough to get to and i ended up with too much for this first hour probably too much for the second hour too so we'll go ahead and get into it uh quotes of the day today from simon sinek s-i-n-e-k he said bad leaders care about who is right good leaders care about what is right uh we don't have many of those uh this was an interesting one it's going to get into our topic a little bit later but ayn rand said the man who speaks to you of sacrifice speaks of slaves and masters, and intends to be the master. And I mention this one because I think we are about to be asked to submit to more, air quotes here in the studio, shared sacrifice. Right now in Europe, they are being asked to do shared sacrifice. I'm air quoting that in the studio every time. I, I, I literally air quote that with my hands in a studio like a madman when I say those things. Uh, this shared sacrifice, you're going to be asked from your leaders. In Europe right now, they're being told this is a shared sacrifice to not have power during the winter in Germany to chop down forests. Uh, the leaders, they're fine. Rest assured, the leaders in Germany uh, heat their homes without any interruptions whatsoever. But the shared, it's the shared part that the leaders, the, the rulers, the elites have a problem with. They never share this sacrifice. They are just asking you to, be, to sacrifice. And that's why Ayn Rand says, the man who speaks to you of sacrifice of sla uh, speaks of slaves and masters and intends to be the master. Uh, this was just a funny it's a funny tweet. It's a Dr. Parikh Patel. I don't know anything about this guy except I ran across his tweet. He's got a bunch of letters behind his name, a BA, a CFA, an ACCA Esquire. Obviously, he's an attorney and a doctor. Uh, he, may be, uh, he may be a horrific leftist. Credentials behind your name impress me none, uh, what you actually say. But hey, just this funny tweet, he said, I don't want to end 2020. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, I don't want to end 2022 on bad terms with anyone. Please apologize to me. <laughs> you know, uh, this is the time. And again, I might should have done this, but this is the time where everybody starts to give their predictions for 2023. They are pretty much everywhere. There's several authors that do this on a yearly basis. I find many of them interesting. There's a guy, when it comes to the financial scene, Zoltan Posnar, He's got an interesting look ahead. You know, in a lot of these things, the, 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 the key is to getting the year right is really a fool's errand. But we can see where the trends are. Unless people start resisting what's coming, we know that the direction we're headed in is federal insolvency, increasing management of our lives, micromanagement, medical tyranny, total tyranny. And possibly soon a financial crisis. I wanted to play a couple of clips. I'm going to replay one that I played yesterday. 
because I am starting to wonder. I've got to do some. Re- I, I think I told you yesterday I would research it more, but I didn't. But the FDIC has been having some meetings. Now, this is kind of one of those things where maybe I'm I'm going to try to. Well, I'm not going to try. Uh, some of the things that you hear may be concerning, and it's like there's nothing we can do about it. But I bring these things up because I want my listeners to kind of have their head on a swivel. I played this clip yesterday. This is from an FDIC meeting where I explained to you it's uh, guys and gals, the oligarchs in the United States, in the banking system, in their beautiful uh, pantsuits and suits, all very spiffy. And they're having this roundtable discussion, uh, apparently at a meeting, because the next clip I play is going to be, it's, it's actually in an FDIC uh, frame. So it's an F, and, and understand the FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, Corporation, Committee, whatever. And they are the ones that guarantee uh, our bank accounts. I'm going to play this clip from yesterday, and what you're going to hear, the second voice, is Gary Cohn. He is the former Goldman Sachs president who served as Donald Trump's uh, financial advisor, where pretty much they say, ah, we don't need to tell the people everything. The people with the, what, what you're going to hear, I'm going to go ahead and do it now, so I don't have to just keep breaking this clip up and explaining it again. But what you're going to hear is, look, we don't need to tell the, uh, they're looking down at their papers. Apparently they've uncovered something in the banking system that's causing them some concern. And essentially, to translate, to pre-translate what they're going to say, it's essentially, well, we don't need to tell the American people about that. The people with the really expensive lawyers, the investment pros, they can take this report and they can parse through it and really understand it. But we don't need to tell the little people about this. It's just going to scare them. And now they don't tell us exactly what it is that would scare us about the banking system. But here is the clip that I played yesterday, and as I say, the second voice you're going to hear is uh, Gary Cohn, from uh, formerly of Goldman Sachs. It should be accessible when people need to know, but I don't think you have much hope of, of reaching a public that doesn't have a professional need to know. I, I completely agree with that. I almost think you'd scare the public. If you put this out, like, why are... And this is my question. I say I, I'm, I am apologetic... I should be studying. I should be hounding into this. What is it that they are looking at that we would be scared of? He just, isn't that what he just said? I agree with you. I think this would scare the American people. What are they looking at when it comes to the banking system that would scare us? Seems like something maybe they should give us a heads up on. Scare the public. If you put this out, like, why are they telling me this? Should I be concerned about my bank? Like, my insurance company doesn't tell me what they're doing with my assets. If they just assume... They're going to pay my claim, right? It's, it's, I, I think you've got to think of the unintended consequences of taking a public that has more full faith and confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do. <laughs> now, again, this is a confab of bankers here, and they're chuckling. we got an American peop- public that has more faith in the banking system than maybe we would. They're the people running it. They're the ones in charge of the banking system, and they know this thing is... Said to implode, I guess. I don't know what the hell they're looking at. I wish I could zoom in on this video that I'm looking at and be able to read the documents sitting in front of them. Sounds like something there might be causing some alarms, and they're trying to keep it from us. In confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do. <laughs> that we want them to have full faith and confidence in the banking system. They know the FDIC insurance is there. They know it works. They put their money in. They're going to get their money out. So there, there's a select crowd 
of people that are in the institutional side. And if they want to understand this, they're going to find a way to understand this. There's a bunch of law firms represented in this room. There's a bunch of people that will charge them by the hour a lot of money to explain this all to them. And, and, and it's fine. I, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem with that. And they all have huge staffs. But I would be careful about the unintended consequences of starting to blast too much of this out in the general public. Uh, again, th- th- that's a fascinating clip to me. I mean, this is, this is him just saying, look, the people who really matter, that's us. And I'm not talking about us, you and me, little people. Uh, he's saying it in, in this room. Look, the investment class, the rich, the oligarchs, they've got staffs. They've got attorneys. They can look at this report and, and decide to take actions on what they draw from it. They've got big staffs. They've got attorneys. They pay hundreds of dollars an hour, too. If they want to understand this, if they want to get a heads up on what could be coming our way with the banking system, then let's have them at it. But the American people, they, they fully trust us right now. Let, let's not tell them there's any problems. That's, that's how I interpret this. Again, I don't totally understand the concept of what they're looking at. But that is followed up, and the reason I play that clip again for the second day in a row is because it's followed up by this clip. And in this clip, uh, it is... Uh, it is uh, the uh, it's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. I can clarify that now because this this clip is actually inside a little FDIC uh, frame. This is obviously a kind of an internal call with them. Let me see what uh, they are. They're talking a lot about two thousand and eight in this thing. Why? Well, see, we don't know because, as Gary Cohn said, they're not going to tell us what they're. What they're looking at. They don't think we can handle it. They don't want to cause us any undue alarm. They're going to let the investor class, the donor class, know, give, them, give them a heads up. Let them staff, their staff parse through this report and take the appropriate actions to get out ahead. Make sure that they don't lose any money. But they're not going to tell the American people. This is another clip that I ran across today from this FDIC meeting. I'd like to go back to, to some of Dick's early comments. I do think it is hard to get a lot of demand for transparency right now in this in this sort of period of peacetime. But that is going to flip, and it's going to flip probably even faster than we saw in 2008. Where the- okay. There's your first reference to 2008, if anyone remembers the great financial crisis. What, what, what in the hell are they, are they looking at? What does this report say? Need for communications really quickly in the social media world uh, to avoid disinformation, to have some holding patterns for things like, I remember in the early days of bail-in, people saying, they're coming for my deposits, Right. Now, what he is talking about is if there is some level of a crisis, they need to be able to manage the messaging. They've got to figure out, and he's going to go into a little bit more detail here on how to get out there into the cyberspace, make sure that they are prepared with social media. And and it's under the guise of misinformation, right? They're battling misinformation. Well, we have just lived through three years of them, air quotes here in the studio, battling misinformation, which was actually code for censoring the truth. Letting people know the truth about COVID. Letting people know the truth about the shots. Letting people know the truth about ivermectin. They call that managing misinformation. So what is the misinformation that they're going to be trying to manage in the case of something that is reminding them of 2008? So just holding, just holding communications that you can pull out that are helpful to deal with disinformation, some very simple things, um, and how quickly you'll be able to deal with different constituencies. Um, for example, as liabilities are further up and closer to harm's way, when are you going to be able to give them some comfort, if any? How do you deal with uh, foreign operations? 
Uh, oh, yeah, the Russians. The Russians are going to come in and they're going to destroy faith in the banking institutions. I don't This may be some kind of one of these tabletop exercises. I don't want to risk. Re, there's about 20 bankers sitting around this table. So what the first clip tells you is, hey, we've got something here that might freak out the American people. Let's not tell them. Let's just let the Wall Street crowd have this report, and they can figure out what they want to do. But let's, let's leave the Americans in the dark so we don't needlessly alarm them. And then you're following this up with a guy saying, look, if something starts happening, <clears throat> and, there, and he talks about needing transparency like 2008, meaning people are going to be demanding answers at some point for whatever it is they're considering here, he wants to make sure that they are cocked and loaded with the same kind of messaging that went out around COVID and the shots and ivermectin, where they just had, they have this stuff set and ready to go out on social media to tamp down what they call misinformation, which is what we have come to learn is just code word for a truth they don't want out. Am I making sense here? How do you communicate to some of those different groups? I, I think ex-ante preparation for the speed of scaling up mm. and the ability to get information out to avoid rumors taking over the, the narrative strikes me as probably the place that feels like it's got the most benefit mm -hmm. in a world where I think the you've done a pretty good job of getting out the basics of Title II mm -hmm. and some of the basic resources that are available now. I'm just saying, again, I, I am a little bit unprepared for this. I'm just giving a heads up to the listeners of The Mike Madison Show. Look, this show is about warnings. It's, it's about warnings from people like myself, and I think people grow tired of hearing this reference to libertarianism. It's very interesting. In conservative talk radio, which is all about Republicans and Democrats, I think some people say, you talk about libertarians too much. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We don't dare. What is, libertarian parties like Voldemort. You can say Republican and Democrat. That's allowable. That's entertaining. But don't, don't be bringing in a third party like that. Don't be think, telling us there's a different way to think about things. Keep it within conservative, liberal, Democrat, and Republican. But the show is about warnings. I mean, and, and a lot of it is about warnings from the Libertarian Party on things like the Patriot Act or things like bailouts or things like endless Fed money printing when nobody was paying any attention because our guy was doing it. Um, unheeded warnings. Well, this is just a heads up, <laughs> you know. Uh, if something starts uh, brewing up in the banking system, Understand you you may need to react. And and the key is if there becomes an issue in the banking and it may never happen. As I say, maybe they're just spitballing an exercise. But of course, that's what they did with event two oh one before COVID, wasn't it? It was just a tabletop exercise. They were just practicing, just making sure they were prepared for a pandemic. It was just a complete coincidence that they also ran Crimson Contagion in twenty nineteen. And that suddenly in 2020, we had a worldwide pandemic. So maybe they are just doing one of these tabletop exercises. I'm just saying these things have a way of coming true. So to my listeners, I tell you, when it comes to your banking, when it comes to your banks, I'm not saying go out and take your money out right now. I don't know what they're looking at. I don't know the time frame of it. And I don't know what it is. But I would keep your head on a swivel. Uh, he who panics first panics best. Be right back. Something
something's going on in the banking system right now. We don't know what it is from those clips. <clears throat> As I said, I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't warn anybody or tell anybody to do anything or take any actions. But uh, you remember in 2008, right? Uh, subprime uh, loans, are, that's, it's contained. Everything's fine. Jim Cramer telling you, oh, get out there and buy Lehman Brothers stock. It's a bargain. That's what they tell you until it happens, until they can no longer uh, control the messaging. And that's their focus now in this age of so-called misinformation. They know, roll out on social media, because we've seen during COVID that initially about 80% of the people can be fooled just by using official messaging and censorship of alternative voices. And then the about 60% of the people still believe a lot of the stuff. A lot of people out there right now believe uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is this champion of a ragtag democracy over there in Ukraine. Just a wonderful guy. I think there's a lot of people out there sleeping tonight with a Zelensky body pillow. So we know how effective they are at managing uh, the messaging. But before the financial crisis in 2008, look, I came on before 2020. In October, I think it was, of 2019, and said, I don't know what's going on in the overnight repo markets, but I was looking at the chart, and something weird was going on. The Fed was taking some big emergency measures, printing up hundreds of billions of dollars a night to put uh, liquidity into the banks. They never came out and told us what it was. Suddenly, then, we have the COVID lockdowns and massive bailouts of industries across the board and American citizens while they remade our entire economy in 2020. I spoke on that quite often during 20. I said, does anybody understand? They are remaking the whole system right now. So something's going on. The Wall Street Silver, it's, uh, I guess, almost a, like a subgroup of the Wall Street bets people who did the meme stock stuff. They, they translated what these bankers are saying. Wall Street Silver says, quote, this is, this is what the bankers are saying around the table. Hey, guys, the large Ponzi scheme that we've, run, uh, that we've been running is approaching a breaking point. Pretty much everyone involved is illiquid because we've completely obliterated the perception of value through monetary policy, and we have no idea what anything is actually worth anymore. We really need a fresh start, so we're going to let it all collapse and socialize the losses, meaning you, the people, have to pay the bulk of the fallout as banks and pensions collapse, and a few banks scoop up the remaining assets, including affected customers. <laughs> Now, that seems rather accurate to me. Uh, we've just recently bailed out, as I pointed this out, we talked a lot about the college loan forgiveness. It was a big rallying cry on the right, as it should be. It was, it's a horrific idea to basically socialize uh, everybody's college tuition, even though I would have been a beneficiary of it. My son would have been a beneficiary of it because he's got student loans, but I know it's wrong. <laughs> I know it, it's wrong. And I'm glad it's so far it's been struck down, and hopefully it will not resuscitate itself. But nobody paid attention to the fact that Biden also just bailed out pension plans. Tens of billions of dollars. And I did not really hear much in the Republican Party of saying, what are we doing? These people who have mismanaged their pension plans? They, they've suddenly just bailed them out so a, a bunch of Teamsters can get full retirement, even though the Teamsters allowed the people running their pension plan to run it poorly? To take it into insolvency, Joe Biden, just with a stroke of a pen, they bailed out the pension plans. I believe it was just him. I don't think it was even legislation. No one talked about it. But something is going on. And it just always gives me an opportunity to play this clip from South Park. If you, if you don't really remember the 2008 financial crisis, 
I think this pretty much summed it up. It's just absolute genius stuff from South Park. They are gaudy. They are bawdy. They are risque. Uh, but there's great social commentary on South Park if you are a fan or even if you've never seen it. They hit the ball out of the park several times, and this is one of them from the 2008 uh, financial crisis. Do I really have to do this, Dad? Stan, now more than ever, you need to understand the importance of saving money. But Grandma said I could use this money to buy whatever I want. Okay, next, please. Go on, Stanley. I got a $100 check from my grandma, and my dad said I need to put it in the bank so it can grow over the years. Well, that's fantastic. A really smart decision, young man. We can put that check in a money market mutual fund. Then we'll reinvest the earnings into foreign currency accounts with compounding interest, and it's gone. Uh, what? It's gone. It's all gone. What's all gone? The money in your account. It didn't do too well. It's gone. What do you mean? I, I have $100. Not anymore, you don't. Poof. Well, well, what can I do to get back I'm my... I'm sorry, sir, but this line is for bank members only. I just opened an account. Do you have any money invested with this bank? No, you just lost it all. Then please stand aside for people who actually have money with us. Next, please. <laughs> hey! Hello, Mrs. Farnickel. How are you today? Making a deposit, are we? Great. We can just put that into your retirement account and make it go to work for you, and it's gone. What? Sorry, yeah, that's gone. Please step aside for people who actually have money with the bank. Next, please. Dad! Hey, I'm trying to teach my son the importance of savings. You already lost his money? Oh, Mr. Marsh, d don't worry. We can just transfer money from your account into a portfolio with your son, and it's gone! This line is for people who have money with the bank only. Please step aside. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's, that's more accurate than we want to believe <laughs> at some point. Coming soon to a bank near you. I don't know what's going on. I'm just telling you. Be paying attention. Be right back. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WIAB. And we're going to talk next hour, as we do every Friday at 10 o'clock. We really kind of focus in on foreign policy stuff. And I'm going to kind of rev up to that with uh, just what I think is a concerning trend. I talked about when Zelensky came last week and spoke to Congress. And this is um, Roger Wicker. I'm sure he just swooned. Oh, I bet he just swooned uh, about this guy because, uh, as I said, Roger Wicker's only complaint with uh, aid for Ukraine was it wasn't enough and it didn't go there fast enough. But um, there, I talked about the fact that all of a sudden everybody came out and all the news reports I heard, they were talking about uh, comparing him to Churchill. And so I did a little bit of research. It took me about 10 minutes to realize and look it up and find out that Churchill actually spoke to Congress the exact same day of the year that Zelensky spoke to Congress. And I got to tell you, that creeped me out. These people like their symbolism. They like their dates. They, they like these kinds of things. I don't think that was really widely touted very much. They might mention it in this clip I'm about to play. But it was concerning to me because we know following Churchill where we ended up. Now, you can debate whether or not we should have been in World War II. 
to fight an expansionist Hitler in Germany and, you know, the Nazis and all that stuff. I'm not really talking about that. I'm just saying uh, it was a pretty bad time for planet Earth and for millions and millions, tens of millions uh, of soldiers and innocent people uh, following Churchill's address to Congress. This is uh, this is a supercut thanks to I think this came off the Tucker Carlson show. They, I noticed this from every report I heard, uh, and I saw a tweet from Hillary Clinton talking about uh, Zelensky being Churchillian. Never even heard that term before, but they were rolling it out. Here's a supercut of everybody talking that way. Politicians and the press often toss around comparisons to Winston Churchill, but this time, minus the cigar and the whiskey, it fits. President Biden face-to-face with the man who was who has drawn comparisons to Winston Churchill. And in a dramatic wartime appearance, reminiscent of Winston Churchill in World War II. This was historic. Uh, Some people have compared it to when Churchill came. Zelensky is very much acting in the Churchillian tradition. What could be a Churchillian moment? He is a modern Winston Churchill with an iPhone. Someone who probably is the most courageous and inspirational leader since Winston Churchill. Where Winston Churchill stood generations ago, so too President Zelensky stands. So you're almost saying that Zelensky's had a harder job than Churchill had. That's exactly what I'm saying. This is a historical figure. This guy actually can be compared to Winston Churchill, to Lincoln in 1860. Okay, so they're giving him this great comparison. Now, I'm not sure. There may be some differences between Zelensky and Churchill. Did Churchill shut down? Uh, opposing political parties? Was Churchill bombing uh, some of his own people in parts of his country that he wanted to ethnically cleanse? Did Churchill actually have Nazis in his armed forces? Did Churchill shut down media? Did Churchill shut down churches and entire religions? As Zelensky's done all of those things, so I think the comparison might be a tad hyperbolic. It's not just a tad. It's ridiculous. But the media did this, and the reason... so. So we've got this. We've got Zelensky coming to Congress. We know we're funneling. We know this is a proxy war between the United States, NATO, and Western countries against Russia in Russia. Everybody pretty much admits that at this point. It's as obvious as it can be. You don't flood hundreds of billions of dollars, arms, training, equipment, lethal weapons, missiles uh, into a country against another country and not consider it a proxy battle. So we, we layer on top of this, this concerning fact. Here are the Here's the concept of this fourth turning that Strauss and Howe wrote about. Um, we need to be aware of the rhythms of history. Now, we have been at war for much of America's existence, but we've got some that kind of stand out. Um, Vietnam was obviously a, an absolute disaster. 58,000 of our troops, millions of people in Southeast Asia, because, again, it's, this was one of America's first real interventionist wars for something that had nothing to do with the United States, but uh, the military-industrial complex was still feeling its oats. After it took out Kennedy, it realized we could do whatever we want to. Uh, so they made sure that they had a good, long, bloody war uh, in Vietnam, and they were off to the races. But we've had these little wars. We Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria, got troops in Somalia, we're bombing Yemen right now. The little weaker countries than us. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a big one. How often do big wars come to the United States? Well, according to the fourth turning people who point this out, and it's pretty hard to argue with this math, it's about every 80 years. 
a turning being about 20 years, kind of like a, a generation. So when they talk about the fourth turning, it is, it is the fourth in uh, kind of the fourth generation coming. Here are the dates of the major wars for the United States. 1776, the War for Independence. Uh, the next one was 1861. That was the Civil War of the United States. Then you fast forward about 80 years, you get to 1941. And if you fast forward about 80 years from 1941, where do you get? You get to 2022, 2023. It's not exact on the nose, 80 years, but 1776 to 1861, you're talking about 80 years. From 1861 to 1941, you're talking about exactly 80 years. And 80 years since World War II is now. So it, it, it appears what happens is people live through crises like World War II. They see the devastation of these wars. But as they get older and older and die, they go away. Meanwhile, the, the leadership in countries make such a mess of things, we forget the lessons of history, and the people who actually lived through it are no longer with us. And so we allow our leaders, excuse me, air quotes here in the studio, leaders, they are leading us off a cliff. I don't know. Maybe it is accurate to call them leaders. They call themselves representatives. But I don't know how many of you out there are champing at the bit for uh, World War III. Um, we allow these people to do the same thing to where they take the system to just an unsustainable area. Uh, I, I, they've looted the system here in the United States, uh, spent the first half hour talking about what appears to be uh, maybe a potential banking crisis in the making. We're just not allowed to know what it is. They, they don't want to concern us. We don't, they don't want to worry our pretty little heads about it. They're going to know what's, what it's going on. They'll have their attorneys, really, and their, and their quants and everybody else go through and figure out how they can protect their money, but they're not going to tell us anything about it. So we're looking at a financial event right now and another 80-year cycle uh, leading up to what has been historically for the United States throughout our entire history, <laughs> this 80-year danger zone, and we are literally on the cusp of World War III with a major power. This is not Iraq. This is not Afghanistan. This is not Libya. This is not Syria, what we're dealing with right now. It's different. So the last 20 years of needless wars, those were just kind of warm-ups. And as a matter of fact, one thing that really struck me, I hear a lot of conservatives still talking about our botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And I certainly agree with you, although I do believe there was no good way to get out of there. If Donald Trump had done the withdrawal, maybe he got more equipment out. Maybe it felt a little more polished. I don't know. But that it was always going to be a mess. This is what I hate about uh, Donald Trump and Trump supporters backseat driving Biden's withdrawal, which was a disaster because Biden is a disaster. But acting like, well, if Trump had done it, it would have gone so much smoother and would have been so much better. The, 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 the inconvenient fact of that is, well, Trump had four years and he didn't do it. Why didn't he start working on that within the first couple of months of being in office? He campaigned on getting us out of these endless wars. Yet for four years, we remained in Afghanistan. And left, we left it to this geriatric patient and the psychopaths that are in the Biden administration to get us out of there. But here's the thing that I suspect. I've talked a lot on this show over six years of explaining to people, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Cold War ended and within nine months, we were invading Iraq. 
I believe the hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan was not a recognition of the failure there. It wasn't Joe Biden saying we need to bring our brave men and women home. That deal is done. No, it was just this other re rejiggering of forces. They needed to get us out of Afghanistan so they could prepare for what's happening now. And remember, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was before the Russian invasion. But the psychopaths who run U.S. foreign policy, they knew they could get Vladimir Putin to invade. They knew if they kept bombing people in eastern Ukraine, they could get Putin to invade. They knew if they were running weapons up to the border of Russia in Ukraine, they could get Russia to invade. So the withdrawal from Afghanistan was abrupt and chaotic uh, because they were running out of time. They needed to end that war so they could start the new one, the big daddy, the mac daddy of wars, World War III. I don't know if Americans would have the stomach for World War III quite as much if we were also still fighting in Afghanistan, still had troops in Iraq, still were fighting. in. Now, we still are involved in the Middle East. Don't get us wrong. But that hasty withdrawal from Afghanistan gave us that eight months buffer again. Might not have been quite that long, but it kind of gave us that buffer where, look, this war's over. Look, we're war-free right now. And then suddenly, boom, within, the, within a year, now we're on a war footing again, except this time it's with the Big Daddy. And it follows this 80-year pattern. I'm just saying, the Austrian defense minister, I talked earlier about this shared sacrifice with the Ayn Rand quote, that when they tell you that you need to sacrifice, that is the relationship of master and slave, and they want the slaves to sacrifice, they will not. They will be the masters. Uh, the Austrian defense ministers warned the Europeans could face blackouts that go on for days, leaving one-third of citizens unable to, quote, supply themselves, unquote. So these European leaders, who are also leading us into this horrific conflict with Russia, trying their, trying their darndest. I mean, there isn't a diplomatic... Uh, effort on the table anywhere that we can see right now. And I do not trust, with all of the rhetoric coming out of Washington, D.C., and some of it we'll talk about next hour, that there's anything in the back channels going on. The American rhetoric and having Zelensky on the same day that Winston Churchill came to Congress, they have Zelensky come to Congress, and it's in the 80-year time frame of these major conflicts in the United States. This is ominous. And I would say, I'm not a big call-your-congressman guy. I understand. But i got to tell you, it made my soul feel good to call up Roger Wicker's office and blast him for his comments on sending money and trying to get us in a... In a Wicker wanted a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which meant that our pilots were going to be facing off with Russian pilots over Ukraine. Direct conflict. And so I did call him. But I, I don't know there's another issue going on right now. And God knows we've got a lot of things kind of beating down the doors right now, but is there anything bigger than World War III? Between the two largest nuclear powers on planet Earth? Is there anything really bigger than that? And as I said uh, before Christmas, and it wasn't a cheery Christmas message, I told you I didn't want to talk about it, but this was right after Zelensky spoke. Uh, Next Christmas could be markedly different than this Christmas. Next New Year's could be markedly different than this New Year's if your sons and daughters have been scooped up to go serve this system. In a World War III, The stars are aligning anyway. I'll just put it that way. And hopefully I'm being hysterical and alarmist and that this thing is going to be pulled back at the last minute. We've always had these. You know, we had the Bay of Pigs. We've had other scares before. Um, I've never lived through a scare like this one. 
where we continue to attack, where you continue to provide weapons. We allowed Zelensky to come in front of our Congress. What is that message to Russia? It is, we're all in. Ukraine either wins this war or it's a NATO-U.S.-led war against Russia. We're all in when you have him. The same way Churchill came and spoke to us, we were all in on World War II at that time. These are ominous signs. There's nothing really, to me, much more important in the world going on right now than this. And if people are not lighting up Roger Wicker's line, because he is shown to be this, this Russia hawk, he is shown to be willing to take money out of your pocket and send it over to one of the most corrupt governments on planet Earth, Ukraine. I would make that phone call. I would send that email. I don't ask people to do that a lot. But these signs, I'm telling you, things are lining up. This is, this is ugly. It's concerning. And hopefully I'm just being alarmed. Be right back. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WIAB. <clears throat> every, <clears throat> excuse me, every Friday, uh, we focus in on foreign policy stuff. And lately, it's been a lot more of the show than normal as things heat up with Russia. Let me, let me just go out and say this. I, there's been times on foreign policy stuff I've been really wrong. I remember when the surge was going on in Afghanistan, and we were rattling sabers with Iran, uh, particularly in the later years of the Bush administration before uh, Obama took office. I I was really convinced we were going to be in war with Iran. It felt like that thing was widening. I mean, I was pretty sure of it, and I was wrong. Uh, I felt that way that we may be <laughs> we may be headed that way still. Again, these concepts of a world war we're not familiar with those. The people who uh, lived through World War II they are not with us any longer, and so we're really just not. We're kind of used to these these Middle East military actions. There are wars. A lot of people die, but we're not used to a biggie. But uh, Israel, I'll have more on that in just a second. Israel is making moves where they are going to be more aggressive towards Iran and understand that if anybody places a places a hand on a tiny little hair over in the nation of Israel, then we are committing our troops to fight that battle. This has certainly been the way, and it continues to be the way. And Israel has just made another horrific choice for leadership over there. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I've been wrong. I was wrong about Iran. I was wrong about the fact that uh, I did not think Putin was going to go into Ukraine. I thought he was bluffing when he built up, a, I think, 200,000 people on the border with Ukraine. Uh, I've learned a lot since then, and, it, and it, uh, I understand why he invaded Ukraine. doesn't make it right. I hate to see what's going on now, and I hate the fact that civilian—you know, this is a show— or a segment on this show that I've called False Flag Friday for several years now, because we uh, there's there's so many instances historically of them dummying up stories, just outright lies to get us into war, weapons of mass destruction, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, the proposed Operation Northwoods to draw us into a war uh, with the Soviet Union over Cuba. Uh, there's all kinds of these things. There's another kind of way to false flag, and it's what we've been doing, which is just provoke, provoke, provoke. Uh, the things that Russia's doing right now, are, are they're, they're logical to a degree. They're not good. I'm not carrying water for Putin here. But they're very logical. If you take a country, and Russia has said for years, Ukraine's off the table. Ukraine cannot belong to NATO. 
we should have a long shared history with Ukraine. We've got an important port there. You cannot go in. And we overthrew their government in 2014, put in a government that's hostile to Russia, and then started sending them lethal weapons. We've done everything we can possibly do to provoke this war uh, in Ukraine. And that that is uh, up to and including uh, other things that have come out. Let me see if I've already got, yeah, I got this pulled up here. I mean, you want to talk about provoking World War III? Now, we have had similar rhetoric with small little countries that can't really fight back. Libya, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq. But this is Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, John McCain's uh, widow. He is still out there rattling sabers and saying the most bombastic stuff. And you can only imagine what we would say if some other country said this about us. Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. How did this war end? When Russia breaks and they take Putin out, anything short of that, the war is going to continue. To ask the Ukrainians to give Russia part of their country after all this death and destruction is not going to happen. To signal a ceasefire, Russia will take the opportunity to rearm and come at them again. So we're in it to win it. And the only way you're going to win it is to break the Russian military and have somebody in Russia take Putin out to give the Russian people a new lease on life. And this is not the first time that Lindsey Graham has basically called for the assassination of Vladimir Putin. Now, when you take a guy who's got nuclear weapons and you threaten his life and his government's life, I mean, what does Putin have to lose at that point when he realizes that Lindsey Graham, who speaks on behalf of the United States, whether we like it or not, I hate it. He speaks on behalf of the United States. What do you do? I mean, you're basically trying to put Putin in as big of a corner, basically saying, we're coming to kill you. You think that makes him more or less likely to fight harder and fight more aggressively and consider the use of nuclear weapons? Because Russia has said over and over again, we have no intention of using nuclear weapons unless, unless the state of Russia is threatened. Our actual government is threatened. If you come after our government, uh, then we... we our doctrine is that we will use nukes. This is also happening right now. Investigative journalist Jack Murphy reports that the attacks uh, in that are happening inside of Russia right now are being carried out by an unnamed European and NATO country spy service. The CIA has been using a European NATO country's intelligence services to conduct sabotage attacks inside Russia since February. Investigative journalist Jack Murphy reported on Saturday citing unnamed former U.S. intelligence and military officials. Now, there's that unnamed. I don't like it when the left-wing media does it. I don't like it here either. People need to step out in front of this World War III thing and blow the whistle. Report said that no U.S. personnel are on the ground in Russia, but that the operations are being directed by the CIA. The U.S. is using an ally's intelligence services to add an extra layer of plausible deniability. And a former U.S. special operations official told Murphy that that layer was a major factor in President Biden signing off on the attacks. These are within the borders of Russia. You know, the other thing to consider, too, as I kind of line these things up, we've got Zelensky coming in talking on the same day Churchill did. We've got the fourth turning where America enters these major, major, major wars. I'm not talking about the skirmishes. I'm not talking about the Iraqs. Uh, the major wars every 80 years, and we are at 80 years since World War II. A layer on top of that, a financial crisis. They will try to distract you. They will give you this, uh, this notion of, air quotes here in the studio, shared sacrifice, meaning you and I might have to do with a little bit less energy, a little bit less quality of life because we're sacrificing because we're in this existential battle for planet Earth against that evil Russia. 
You know, World War II was launched basically on the financial crisis of Germany that had affected the people that we saddled them with so much debt and demanded so much reparations from them for World War One that it was unsustainable. Germany was collapsing. The people were out in the streets. They were furious. And they they flocked to this charismatic, which is bizarre. If you ever see Hitler speak, I'm like, who liked that guy? He's, he's weird. The, the But, you know, at the time... People were so tired of Germany being the punching bag of Europe after World War II, and they were just crushing them with war debt, that they elected that madman and it kicked off World War II. Financial crises have a way to metastasize themselves into wars as the so-called leaders of nations try to distract you from the fact that they have made a mess out of everything. Hey, don't pay attention to us. It's not our fault. Look over there. It's those evil Russians. If it wasn't obvious enough, I reported on the the invitation to the ambassadors, the Ukrainian ambassadors' residence, where the invitation itself had the logos of Northrop Grumman and Raytheon and Lockheed Martin on it as sponsors of the event. And then comes this from The Hill magazine. Zelensky agrees to Ukraine rebuild investment with, anyone, anyone? BlackRock CEO. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky agreed to coordinate the investment efforts to reconstruct Ukraine during a video conference this week. Zelensky's office made the announcement on Wednesday. It came after Ukraine's economic ministry signs a memorandum of understanding in November for BlackRock to provide advisory support for designing an investment network. So for those of you keeping score, it's Raytheon, it's Lockheed Martin, it's Northrop Grumman, and now BlackRock is on the scene, too. They'll get the rebuilding contracts. They'll, they'll be the ones to administer the money for the rebuilding of Ukraine. So every time a missile is launched from Russia into Ukraine, destroying any civilian infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt, BlackRock does a little cheer, some high fives around the office. Because war profiteers are the ones that drive these wars in the first place. BlackRock. <laughs> I mean, this thing is on its face so obvious at this point. Even Europe, there's Europeans out there right now calling out the people who are profiting on these wars. We don't see that so much here in the United States. We don't seem to quite catch on to that. Many of you do. Many of the people who listen to this show, obviously, if you've put up with me for this long, you understand war profiteers. You understand Smedley Butler explaining war is a racket. And then he was just, a, as a Marine, the most decorated Marine at his time in the 1930s, he said he was just a gangster for this country, imposing corporate will throughout Central and South America. But it is still going on. When I come back, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on uh, going on in Israel that I have a feeling is not going to be not, not any more good news. And it's one of these things conservatives probably don't like me talking about. There's just so much. There's so much propaganda. I have the... Well, I'll talk about it on the other side of the break. I, I watched some cable news this past week uh, when I was on vacation. And the, the propaganda that is out there right now is once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's everywhere. Be right back. kind of cut myself off a little bit from uh, from my story, this Jack Murphy investigative journalist piece saying that the CIA is conducting covert operations inside Russia right now. Uh, there's more important part to that story, and I, I've distracted myself. Squirrel! 
But I want to get back to it. Uh, Jack Murphy is an eight-year Army Special Operations veteran, served as a sniper and a team leader in a 3rd Ranger Battalion and a senior weapons sergeant. Uh, so this guy has got, you know, he, he's got this world. He's lived in this world. He's not a New York Times reporter that came out of Georgetown. <clears throat> uh, but I wanted to read some of this because he's talking about the CIA being involved in Russia. I want you to just ask yourself a little, th- little about the timing here if he's, if he's correct. Um, let's see. According to the report, this is the piece by Jack Murphy, the covert campaign inside Russia has been years in the making. Now, just think about that for a second, because Putin just invaded Ukraine last February. So that's interesting. We're not even a year into this, but it appears the CIA, this has been years in the making, and there's some interesting years in here. Two former military officials said that NATO's country's spy services had hidden a cache of explosives and equipment in Russia more than a decade ago. And some of the gear has been used recently. Former U.S. Special Operations official and U.S. persons briefed in the campaign said that the CIA didn't get involved with the NATO country's operations inside Russia until, anyone, anyone, 2014. That's the same year our State Department, along with NATO countries, orchestrated the coup in Ukraine to replace their democratically, although corrupt, their democratically elected government that was friendly with Russia, the U.S., And NATO Western countries went in and cooed him. So this says that the CIA didn't get involved with NATO countries' operations inside Russia until 2014, the year of the coup. The first time sleeper cells entered Russia that were directed by both the CIA and the NATO allies spy services was in 2016. Now, again, my public school math says, well, that's about six years before the Russian invasion. So this idea that we're doing everything just in defense of Ukraine, and if we don't think that the Russians knew we were doing these kinds of things, Russia didn't, didn't feel any of this heat. They were just minding their own business, thinking everything was great. Oh, look at that. The U.S. overthrew the government next to us and put in a, a hostile, a government hostile to us. Oh, that's weird. They're bombing a bunch of ethnic Russians in eastern Ukraine. Oh, well, I'm sure that won't turn into anything bigger. Of course, this is what I'm saying. The provocations, this has been in the planning for a long time. And if you look at the rhetoric uh, coming out of NATO and the U.S. over the last 10 to 15 years, which was to isolate Putin and Russia, we've blamed them for everything to cast them as a boogeyman. The narrative is Vladimir Putin is Hitler. And if you don't believe that, you're a Putin apologist. So they've set this narrative up over 10 or 15 years, and now they're launching it. But it just turns out that the CIA, yeah, they were running sleeper cells as early as 2014, long before this invasion. I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> I had watched uh, some cable this past week, and I, and I ran across something. I guess it's on Fox Nation. I guess that's a channel now, too. I thought that was just an online thing, but... I. Something I ran across on Fox. And as, as I said, I, I tuned into some Fox broadcasting, which I don't normally do because it's so full. I believe Fox News was the worst. And, that, and that's saying a lot in our mainstream media. But in the early 2000s, Fox was the war on terror channel. They are the ones that got conservatives to bankrupt their country on endless wars. I mean, they are, there's just no bigger cheerleaders for war. Now, the left does it, too, now. And the big, the big networks, the big corporate mainstream news, they've always been very uh, pumping of wars themselves. But Fox News really made you feel like you weren't a patriot if you didn't. And, and I bought into it. I argued for the invasion of Iraq 
when I was a Kool-Aid drinking neocon Republican. Fox News is just terrible. As I ran across the Fox Patriot Awards. And I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time getting into it. But and, and look, I admire people who have sacrificed for this country. Unfortunately, people who join the military now, you're not being used to make the United States safer. You are, like Smedley Butler said, being used for power brokers, for their power and their profit. Doesn't have anything to do with protecting our way of life, protecting our rights, keeping us free. These are all the catchwords that they use. That's just not how the military has been used. Iraq was never a threat to my freedom. But it was just, it just really reminded me that I can't remember who all <clears throat> was on this thing. I couldn't watch much of it, but it was really, it's just designed to make sure that conservatives are still in, in, in awe of military service because they're going to need a lot of body bags for these wars. We know our military is not in great shape right now. It's been taken over by wokeness and they've kicked people out who didn't take the shots. They need more bodies and this Fox stuff. It is just there designed to make conservatives believe that you know, serving your country is, is honorable. The problem is, and it, and it is, no denigration of anybody who served in the military now or, or the past. The problem is, is that what these people are really serving is the powerful. They are the empire. And it's, it's incredibly sad. Uh, get ready for some more, more Middle Eastern wars. This, this was really d- depressing. I had a great uh, time. Uh, back when Benjamin Netanyahu was on the outs in Israel, but like a like a bad case of uh, herpes, it just keeps coming back. Well, he served as prime minister for a total of 15 years, as recently as 2021, and this Thursday he'll be back in the position he's so familiar with. Benjamin Netanyahu will be presenting his new government to the Knesset after winning the fifth election in four years, one expected to be the most right-wing in the country's history. Its makeup and statement of policy priorities are already raising concerns for the fate of civil liberties, ranking Israel, rankling Israel's closest allies, and escalating tensions with the Palestinians. Well, Net- Netanyahu uh, gave a-, a speech to the Knesset this uh, Thursday morning before the presentation of his government. And what his uh, proposals are is to expand Jewish settlements which means taking more Palestinian land. And I know this is not popular on conservative radio, but if you've, if you've looked at any of the you know, footage, if you've seen stories about exactly what takes place in Palestinian settlements, they're basically living in an open-air prison in many of those places. They've been encircled by walls, and as I've documented many times, and even played clips of, sometimes Palestinians go off, they go to work during the day, they come home, and somebody else is just living in their house and all their stuff is on the curb. This is Benjamin Netanyahu's plan going forward. This will inflame more tensions. But conservatives have been led to believe that everything Israel does is great. And Benjamin Netanyahu, as soon as people hear a right-wing government, they think, oh, great, look at that. The conservatives are in charge over there. They are also uh, contemplating preemptive strikes on Iran. And as I said before, should that happen and a shooting war start between Iran and Israel, uh, they will use, as I said, our service members will be drawn into that fight, too. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, not a good character and certainly not good for world peace. And he's back like a bad case of herpes. Be right back. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show. 
Excuse me. A listener sent me yesterday something to soothe my throat. I need to listen to her. I, I will respond. For the people who have emailed me in the last few days, I'm telling you this at at and I'm going to bash them one more time. I've been without internet for now nine days. I cannot access my station email uh, on my phone. I probably could. I just didn't know I was going to need it so badly. So if I have not uh, responded to you, I'll try to do it before I leave the station today. I can't do anything at night, but I appreciate somebody who sent me something. I may need to take her advice on a good natural treatment to soothe my throat. Uh, anyway, uh, we get into, uh, at the end of every Friday, what we always do is we chronicle the world's descent into madness with This Week on the Crazy Train. Now, I thought this one was pretty darn funny. Um, there was a story out yesterday. We know that uh, Kanye West had made a lot of headlines, particularly with his apparent praise of Hitler uh, at some point. But we know all the controversy that went around there. Well, there's a new controversy around Kanye West. It's, the story said, Kanye West's ex-business manager, Thomas St. John, can't locate the star to serve him with a two point, uh, excuse me, a $4.5 million contract lawsuit. And rumors the rapper is, quote, missing. According to court docs obtained by the U.S. Sun, the 45-year-old music mogul went viral after a tweet called him, quote, missing. Um, yeah, uh, if you're trying to serve me with a $4.5 million contract lawsuit, <laughs> I'm not going to be real, real visible either. I may go, air quotes here in the studio, missing as well. So I don't know. Kanye does seem to be on the edge. Who knows what's happened to him? Uh, he may be licking his wounds from some hits he's taken recently, but I got to tell you, he's probably motivated to go missing by a four and a half million dollar lawsuit being served on him. Uh, I don't have any clips of this George Santos guy. I don't think I've talked about him yet. This is the Republican that was elected in the third congressional district of New York. I don't know if he did. He might have unseated a Democrat. And I know where I was really I was hoping for a red wave, a complete repudiation of the left. But if this is the best the Republicans can draft to take out Democrats, we're in some big trouble. I don't know if you've heard about this George Santos guy. He appears to be a pathological liar. I don't have any clips on it, but he lied about his resumes, lied about his work history. He's lied about everything, uh, lied about his education. And apparently, judging by someone who had two tweets that, he, that, that appeared to come from George Santos account in one, he said, 9-11 cost me the life of my mother, and he was kind of honoring the sacrifice of people and, the, you, know, the, the, you know what it is, pandering. I, I lost my mom on 9-11. And then there was a tweet, and these were both within a couple of months of each other, within the past year. And the second tweet said, it's been five years. I'm so, you know, this is the fifth anniversary of me losing my best friend, my mother. <laughs> well, she couldn't have died on September 11th in 2001. Maybe she died on September 11th of 2017. I don't know. <laughs> but this guy is a freak. Uh, biggest story of this past week was probably weather-related. Um, we'll, <clears throat> we'll take a look at that and then explain to you how it is still actually, even though record colds, <laughs> people actually freezing to death, uh, is still because of climate change and global warming. Tonight, breaking news as we come on the air. The death toll in Buffalo climbing as New York's governor declares the brutal winter storm the blizzard of the century. Now, of course, you know, this cold snap someone in Texas had pointed out. Didn't we just have one of these last year? Uh, they're calling it once in a, you know, once in a century. The blizzard was it, it was quite amazing. I saw some time lapse video uh, yesterday from Buffalo, a 24 hour time lapse of just watching the snow creep up in the front yards. It was something absolutely amazing. Uh, more about exactly how that ties to because a lot of us lay people out here, you know, dummies like you and me. We look at record cold snaps and say, doesn't feel like the planet's getting a lot warmer. 
But of course, we have to understand in the climate change game, everything is about rising temperatures. It doesn't matter if the temperatures are falling through the floor. It's because of rising temperatures. I'll have someone explain that to you in a second. I played this clip last week, though. This is just one of those funny ones uh, where they started talking about the holiday heart. Again, they are trying to explain to you every reason that everybody's going to start having heart attacks. It's everything except you know what. We turn now to your health this holiday season. And we're not talking about the flu or COVID, but about your heart. The risk is serious and doctors are trying to spread the word. This morning, doctors are urging Americans to put heart health at the top of their holiday to-do list. That's because more people die from heart attacks between December 25th and January 1st compared to any other week of the year, with Christmas Day being the deadliest day of all. Doctors say the leading factors include family stress and falling out of good habits like healthy eating. It's not just an issue that holiday heart is a benign condition. It actually is a very potentially serious condition. So there it is, holiday heart. So if you escaped holiday heart, you might have run into this. Well, cold, we know, is a killer. Mm. Uh, uh, We know that it's a risk factor for stroke. It's a risk factor for a heart attack. And also it's a risk factor we feel for accelerated cognitive decline. So I think it's really important that people stay physically active. They try to look after themselves as best they possibly can. But there's something that we can't escape here. It's that chronic exposure to cold is a killer. So there you go. Uh, Isn't that interesting? He basically gave the laundry list of potential vaccine adverse events, uh, but it is because of the cold. So now it's the holiday heart. It's cold. It's uh, bus fumes. It's it's everything. Everything causes a heart attack, except, of course, the experimental gene therapies. Um, Let's see. Yeah. So this is uh, the explanation, as I say, a lot of us out here that are just not very smart, I guess. We look at these plunging temperatures, these record colds across the country that happen every single year, and we say, where is this three-degree temperature rise you climate hysterics uh, are always talking about? Well, you just have to understand the science. Difference between weather and climate is on display in Denver. As one of the coldest Arctic fronts in the city's history arrives in a time where global warming takes many of the headlines. A single storm like this can't be blamed on climate change, and its occurrence can't refute it either. Ah. Here's what the research is showing about the connection. Scientists have proven that human activity is causing the entire atmosphere to warm, but they've also discovered that the Arctic is warming at a much faster pace than it is in the United States. That can cause more chaotic weather patterns leading to more extreme polar vortex outbreaks in the future. Here's how it works. The polar jet stream controls the weather patterns in the U.S. When the Arctic is extremely cold, that jet moves fast and remains in a tighter circle, reducing the chances of the most extreme polar air from escaping to the south. But since the Arctic is not as cold as it used to be, the smaller temperature gradient is causing the polar jet stream to slow and become more wavy. That increases the chances of Arctic outbreaks in the states. A possible result is more extreme single-day cold events, while overall seasonal temperatures increase. And there's data to support that. There's now been three extreme polar vortex outbreaks in three consecutive years. Besides this week's, there was one in February of 2021, which crippled much of the nation's power grid in Texas. But wait, we were just told it was a once-in-a-century storm. And another one in September of 2020 that brought the earliest freeze in history to Denver, Colorado. And yet the average fall and winter temperatures on the Front Range have been steadily on the rise over the last 60 years. So there it is. 
If you wanted your explanation on how they tie <laughs> frigid, uh, back-breaking, just teeth-chattering uh, temperatures to global warming, there it is. It's a, it's a really pretty good gr uh, gig. Everything that happens is because you're right and never because you were wrong. Uh, Southwest had its problems this week, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Southwest really took a prison pounding in the media. Apparently, they left a lot of people stranded. There's bags everywhere, but at least they're on top of this. Hey, jet setters. Want to offset carbon? Now you can each time you fly with us. For every dollar you contribute to help Southwest offset its carbon emissions, we'll not only match your contribution, but also give you rapid rewards bonus points. How's that for showing you some love? Your contribution will be used to purchase carbon offsets for projects like the Coots New Woo Improved Forest Management Project in Alaska. The carbon revenue generated from this project enables the Haida and Clinket people to protect acres of forest land that could otherwise undergo aggressive commercial timber harvesting. So anyway, Southwest, they're taking some of your airfares uh, to fight uh, carbon into the atmosphere there there is another way maybe that's the genius of what's just taking place with southwest they figured out that we can put less carbon into the uh, into the air uh trying to increase uh, benefit climate change if we just cancel 75 percent of our flights and strand our travelers everywhere anyway if you were affected by the southwest outage if you were trapped in some city for three days uh with no no sign of getting out. If your bag has been permanently lost, and apparently there's thousands of those as well, it should at least make you feel better knowing that one dollar of your fare went to fighting climate change. I'll be right back. From all over the world, this is Captain America calling. I bailed you up when you were down on your knees, so will it catch me now? I'm falling. All right, final segment for the week, final segment for the year. Can't believe it. Uh, is 2023 just going to be 2020 all over again? I started talking about this a little bit yesterday, but I'm telling you, I'm getting uh, my spidey senses are going off. Tonight, China's hospitals under strain as a wave of COVID sweeps the country, with harsh lockdowns no longer in place to hold it back. Emergency room patients, many on oxygen, filling every available bed, and in some cases, spilling out into the hallways. Does this not sound exactly like what we heard in January, February of 2020? Work in the emergency department is nonstop, this doctor says. Overworked. And here, medical staff warn families there's no oxygen for patients in the corridors. The only thing this report is missing is ventilators. The exact scale of the surge, unknown. China this week stopped publishing daily COVID data. But experts say it appears to be tearing through a population without herd immunity and where many, including the elderly, have not received boosters. What we're seeing really is what sounds like a mass infection event. China began scaling back its zero COVID restrictions after widespread anti-lockdown protests. Now, I had that translated. And what he was screaming was, don't listen to this report. The media is lying to you about everything. That's that is the rough translation, I think, of what that guy just said. Some demonstrators even calling for the downfall of the Communist Party. The government's official explanation for the change, Omicron is less likely to cause hospitalization and death and so doesn't require severe restrictions. 
Uh, <clears throat> there have been reports uh, from people in China saying this is complete garbage, that this is not actually happening uh, in China right now. We really have no idea. But, of course, uh, we know if we follow the 2019 to 2020 uh, series of events that took place, we know what's coming our way. With Christmas in the rearview mirror, tonight experts are warning holiday gatherings and travel could send COVID cases surging into the new year. We have to remember that while certain viruses are rounding the corner, we are definitely not out of the woods. So we all have to be incredibly cautious as we head into these New Year's celebrations. COVID cases are climbing and seniors are the most vulnerable, making up 90 percent of COVID deaths. Now, think about that statistic for a little bit. If they if they actually just peeled that statistic out and made it its own story, we uprooted our children's lives, our young adults' lives, adults' lives. We closed businesses. We closed churches. We destroyed people financially. 90%, 90% of all deaths have been the seniors. There was one vulnerable category of people. They shut down the entire world's economy. They kind of gloss over that little statistic. But just over a third of seniors have gotten their updated booster. Some in Chicago taking advantage of this convenient pop-up clinic. Oh. I'm going to call my friends and my family to get down over here and get your shot. For get down over here and get your shot. Didka. The bears. Yeah, I bet that guy was there. Uh, paid for by Pfizer. Weeks, some patients have faced long wait times at hospitals strained by the triple-demic. But doctors insist people with serious symptoms will get care. If you are experiencing an emergency, um, that would be like um, shortness of breath, ch chest pain. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's gallows humor at this point. You know, shortness of breath, chest pain. Uh, if, so if you're suffering an adverse event from the boosters that the Bears guy just told you to go get, don't worry, we'll see you. Kind of things. Those are true emergencies. While cases of RSV and flu are declining, most states are still reporting high or very high flu-like activity. So there you go. Yeah, we know this is so we know how this goes. Overworked, hospitals overrun, and pay no attention to the fact that they laid off nurses, fired nurses and doctors uh, and staff at hospitals because they wouldn't take an experimental jab. There we are about to be barraged with the hospitals overrun narrative again. Uh, I wanted to spend a little time on this. Hopefully I got time to get through it all. This is a Dr. August on CBS. I ran across this clip. This is going to be a slightly different this week on the crazy train. I got some social justice warrior stuff. I may not have time to get to it. This clip was just absolutely so horrific. Um, when it comes to talking now again about COVID and shots and everything else. Uh, this is, this Dr. August, he is your disinformation agent. Uh, Dr. Agus, let's begin with the COVID conversation, which I think waned as the year went on. People began to move on. There was a new normal. The president said it was over. What can we expect in the new year? So the good of this year, right, is that the vaccines have held. So unfortunately, over 15 percent of people in the United States, we're number 70 in the world in terms of boosters. Fif Never been so happy to be so down, far down on a list in the world. Number 70 in the world on boosters. Yeah, your, your fear campaign is not working. That's why they have to ramp it back up. 15% of people have gotten this new bivalent booster. Not enough. Hmm. Six months out, you need to get it. And Six months out, you need to get it. We just heard the previous report that said all 90% of deaths were in senior citizens. And to be honest with you, that number, the average age of those people was around 80, longer than the typical American lifespan. But he tells you if you're six months or older, you need to be going out there and getting the shot.
So what we're going to see is if we can keep the booster rate up, I think we're going to be OK in the year ahead. If we don't, we're going to start to see more and more people getting sick because COVID numbers are going up across the country with the new variant. The vaccine works against serious illness, but we have to stay on our toes. I mean, this is just such a, it's just a patent lie. Country after country reporting that the majority of the people in hospitals and dying of what they say is COVID are vaccinated people. It does not dissuade these people from just continuing to come out and say the same things over and over again. Like we haven't heard, like all this has not been completely debunked. They just keep on saying it. But that's what's so frustrating to people, Dr. Agus, because you get vaccinated, you do all the right things, and you still, still get COVID. Get it. No. And we're still dealing with it. You do, but you don't get that ill. Is that- we also just heard, and we've known for months now, that this Omnicon that they've rolled out on us that is probably just a cold that they are doing these ramped up tests on is no more dangerous. Actually, the flu is more dangerous to children than this strain of COVID is, according to their own research. And so that's why people, if you've gotten the shot and you survived it, good on you. I explained that yesterday. Or I I told you about Ryan Cole's, Dr. Ryan Cole's explanation of why that might be. It's a mild disease anyway doesn't matter if you've had a shot or not. It's a mild variation. You're not being hospitalized, but you're right. We're praying in 2023 that we will get a vaccine or a booster that will block spread and symptomatology with this virus. So in 2023, he's praying that they get a vaccine that anyone, anyone works. What he's admitting to you is this doesn't stop the spread. It doesn't stop you from catching COVID. It doesn't stop you from getting the symptoms. He still clings to this idea. It keeps you out of the hospital and keeps you from dying. But basically what he just said was, we're really hoping next year we get a shot that works. Again, uh, how much testing will be on that shot? Because it's not being tested right now. Another experimental vaccine, but they'll pinky swear promise that this next one, this one really works. I can feel it coming already. That'll increase what we call mucosal immunity to actually give us protection, which the current ones protect against serious illness, but not this. And they absolutely do not. It's been proven time and time again, does not protect against hospitalization or death. Uh, Let's see. uh, The next pandemic, of course, this is always what this may be what they roll out as the next pandemic already. When we were in the thick of COVID and fighting against it, it seemed like we kept hearing the narrative that we weren't as prepared as we should have been. Are we now more prepared for the next pandemic? I better hope we are or we're in trouble. I mean, so a pandemic by definition means we don't know what's going to happen. And I think this is absurd. Of course, that's not literally in the definition anyway. But didn't they do event 201? Crimson contagion. I mean, they've done all of these. They've done all these studies. They've just lived through another one. But, oh, we just won't know. Basically, his entire message is everybody's got to get a shot. I think we now have systems in place that we're going to be better. We're going to be better collecting data, which we didn't do well during COVID. (laughs) We're going to have magnificent. The data that they want to collect. And then they will massage that data. The data was terrible this past time around. Misleading, fear-mongering ready for vaccines and small molecules, these antivirals. And we've been normalized that if we have to wear a mask, we will wear a mask and we know the behaviors. Remember? OK, I'm going to I got to skip ahead real quick and play one clip. I might not have. This is Dr. Ja. This is the covid. Uh, this is the covid chief for the Biden administration, formerly, I believe, of the Today Show. Again, this is the head of the covid response for the Biden White House in light of that nut job. Dr. Agus telling you we're familiar with masking. We can go right back to that. Here is Dr. Ja. 
there's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. So it, you're never going to get the kind of benefit from mandatory year-round masking. Now, he, he kind of couches it, but let's let's go back and let's just get that first little line from Dr. Jha, the COVID coordinator of this current White House. There's no study in the world that shows that masks work that well. No study in the world that show that masks work that well. I'm just saying. In the beginning, about touching surfaces, about yes. six feet and about all those things. Right. We were normalizing these ideas which are here. So we're going to be better with a new virus. Look at MPOX or the old monkeypox. It's had a, you know, it came up and then we were able to deal with it a little bit slow, but we dealt with it rather well in this country. Right. I think we're going to be a lot better in the year ahead. Okay. One terrifying clip. Oh, running out of time, running out of time. Let me see if we can get to it. Yeah, here it is. So medicine is one of those fields that seems to be like right next door to just pure magic, right? Things that come out of the field do <laughs> miraculous things, or it feels that way anyway. Like my right. daughter got a little eye infection. The doctor gives you drops. It clears up in like two days. With that kind of uh, as prelude, what are you excited about in this year and also looking ahead for next year in terms of advancement? Yeah, give us some good news because we need it. All right. So the good news is I think every parent in this country that is watching today, their shoulders will come down when I tell them this, is that very soon we're going to have an RSV vaccine. Ding, ding, ding. So the data look fantastic. It should be approved by the FDA for, get this, mothers. So when you're pregnant, we give it to you. And when your baby's born, the first six months, they have the protection. That's right. They've got an RSV vaccine waiting in the wings. They had to fear monger that as much as they could for several, several months. Now they roll out the vaccine and their intention is they can give it to pregnant mothers. We're about to find out if Americans are capable of learning a lesson. Got to go. Have a great New Year. Bye-bye. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now.